Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is episode four, the full interview. For all things application performance management, AI ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is IBM fellow Mac Devine, VP and CTO of Strategic Customer Success for the Watson Cloud Division at IBM. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran, consultant, and analyst, Andy Thurai. Welcome to AI and IT Ops Podcast. I am Andy Thurai founder and principal at thefieldcto.com, where we provide unbiased emerging technology advisory services. Our next guest, Mac Devine, is my ex-boss, my mentor, and a good friend. More importantly, he knows about everything. <laughs> he is a wealth of information. He is my go-to guy anytime if I need an opinion or advice on anything, pretty much. Mac, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thanks, Andy. Good to be here. One thing I do want to talk a little bit about in today's podcast is this new term, AI ops. It used to be a hype term. Now it has become more of a reality that everybody seemed to be talking about it. It's a very hot topic. First of all, we'll start out with what do you think of this whole space? And it's pretty much one of the red hot areas like RPAs and a few other things. What do you think of this and where it's going? Well, it used to be that operations was kind of underappreciated. It was just kind of stuff that was done in the background and everybody kind of took it for granted. Granted. And then when you look at things like, you know, the pandemic that's interjected so much change into the system that people started to realize that operation and operational procedures are really important and they've kind of come to the forefront. You also have so many different industries that are looking at how they can better take advantage of technology, but not breaking their operational business model as well as their IT operations. And so I think operations has got kind of come into the spotlight in, in many of our accounts where, like I said before, it kind of was in the background, it was things that happened in the background. Now it's front of mind, top of mind for a lot of the C-level executives in our accounts now is to figure out how they can optimize their operations more efficiently. Yeah, that's a common theme that a lot of folks, uh, ID executives, seeing as well. So let me ask you a question a little different way, though. So if I'm an experienced CIO, if I'm looking for to incorporate AI into my IT operations, is it really necessary? Why isn't there years of experience and the best practice they have put together, processes? Isn't that enough in today's IT world? Should they seriously look at the AI ops? Yeah, so that's a good question because I can tell you some experiences I've had where I've gone and met with the CIO and he or she has said, it's interesting that you're telling me about things like AI, but we've been doing this for years and we have this down to a science and so we're a well-oiled machine, so on and so forth. And then I asked them a really, I think, pretty straightforward question. I says, okay, well, your best practice, when was it put in place? And they'll say, you know, three years, two years, you know, some, something along that lines. So I says, is the market the same that you're going after that it was two years ago? Is the technology the same as it was two years ago? And the answer to those things is no. The expectations of the client are different. The opportunities are different. The challenges are different. And the technologies are different. So lots of times people fall into the trap of just because something was the best practice and it absolutely worked absolutely great at a certain point in time does not mean that six months down the road, that it's going to be the appropriate process. You have to be continuously inspecting, continuously determining based off of real data what needs to happen and, and how you need to do things. 
And if you rely on just the people, paper, and process kind of traditional way of doing it, you're going to have significant blind spots and you're going to fall into that trap of just assuming that what was once best practice is going to continuously be best practice. That's the key point, right? When they put the best practice in place, it's good today, but with the amount of technology changes that's coming down the pike, I even recommend to people that, you know, you got to do it every month review, if not every quarterly review, because so many things change, so many new tools they're bringing in, so much of work is done in the shadow IT. And with the new additions of that, if you don't do it, then these are the things that happen for the organization that disappear in no time. Yeah, and you're exactly right in terms of the shadow IT piece. You know, why does shadow IT exist? Many times it's because the individuals inside the line of business have recognized that the, quote, best practice way of doing operations isn't sufficient for the needs of the market and not fully taking advantage of technology. And therefore, they work around it. Well, what that does is it causes complexity, it interjects additional cost, and it makes it such that you don't have full visibility in terms of what's happening at your business. And so that's one of the main things that if you can get to a data-driven model in terms of IT operations, you can be more responsive to the line of business. You can be more responsible to the developers. And therefore, you have an opportunity to perhaps short-circuit opportunities to go around traditional IT with these shadow IT type of situations. It's funny how you mentioned that every organization claimed to be a data-driven organization. <laughs> every organization claimed they're a data-driven organization, but lots of times the CIOs drop the decision they don't accept that comes from IT because it's a partial data decisions that they don't look into the full picture, which is a real problem in, in IT, isn't it? Yeah, so this aspect of a data-driven organization, the key being is not that you can just collect all the data, but you get the right insight from the data at the right time and that you can make the right decision and implementation of the changes based off of that data. Plenty of people say they have a big data strategy, but really, basically, they just have a lot of big data. They don't actually have the insight piece of that. They don't know how to get from collecting the data to understanding the data to executing on what the data is telling you need to do in terms of changes. And that's where things like AI operations can really help. It's funny you mentioned that some of our common customers, just because they have a lot of data, they assume that the big data, large volume of data, they assume they have the right data. It's having the right data, right time, right insights. You nailed it. Those are the three key points. If you don't have it, then you're just wasting your time. Yeah, so that's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up about getting the right data because going back to the kind of this best practice, many times the data that you collect in a best practice as the market changes, as technology changes, as situations change, et cetera, client expectations, what you should be measuring and what you should be collecting and what you should be getting insight from may change. And so having the ability to have a real-time view of what the data is telling you and also being able to have the flexibility of experimenting to get data from other sources that you can combine with the existing data that you have so you can perhaps get a different lens on your business is really important. Right. So what are some of the new IT operations challenges that the CIOs are facing today? And how do you think AI can help solve or overcome some of those issues? 
Well, it's really kind of a fascinating time here because you have new technologies that are going to open up new opportunities for businesses, things like 5G as it rolls out, things like edge computing, IoT devices, etc. Those really change the landscape in terms of data that can be collected and decisions that can be made in, in more real time. We used to live in a centralized batch data analytical kind of world, and decisions were made based off of data that was collected over time and analyzed over time, and then you had a set of time to actually implement the changes. You're talking, you know, changes many times in the past would take years to make. Then you kind of got down to uh, maybe significant shifts in the way IT operations were done maybe twice a year. Well, now you need to be able to have the ability to make changes and adaptations based off real time. And that's what you saw circling back to what I said earlier with the pandemic. That it's really shown headlights on some of the significant shortfalls that exist in our businesses today in terms of the lack of visibility across their supply chain is a great example of that. And so I think it's really important more than ever to take advantage of these technologies like edge computing and IoT, real-time data analytics and AI. But the challenge that the CIOs have is how do they take the knowledge base, the processes that they currently have, what do they keep, what do they throw away, what do they modify, how do they supplement, complement, and augment what they're doing with these new technology choices. And then another area that's really important is This convergence is happening between the operational technology domain and the informational technology domain. Many times, if you look at large manufacturer, they had their enterprise IT, but they also had operations that were on the manufacturing floor at the distribution center. And those things work fairly autonomously from the back-end systems. And only when there was a need to interact did they interact, but they didn't interact in a way that was conducive to sharing data and sharing insights. So you had these significant blind spots in terms of view across the entire landscape of OT and IT. And so utilizing things like 5G to connect those worlds together more efficiently and effectively, a lot of enterprises are really struggling with how do they bring those two worlds together in a safe way from a security standpoint, as well as from a way that they can actually take the additional data sources that that will provide them and get more insight, not just more data that they have to somehow figure out what to do with. So, uh, Mac, that's an excellent point about uh, IT versus OT. That brings a newer nuance into the mix, right? Particularly when you add the edge computing, the manufacturing floors, the IoT devices, change up all of the things in the OT or operations technologies when it gets incorporated into the IT operations. How is AI an essential operational tool, especially for the age of autonomy when everything is getting automated? How does it work? How can it help? When you have more data sources and you have a a more real-time data sources, then you have both a challenge and an opportunity. The challenge that you have is how do I incorporate that real-time data into my IT operations? And how can I do that at an increased volume? Because I've got so much more data coming from these intelligent devices. And, you know, it goes back to like 75% of the data loses its value within 10 milliseconds. And so it loses significant value. Anyway, maybe not all of its value, but a significant part of its value. So the quicker you can respond to that real-time data, the better outcomes you can have. And so... It's just not possible from a human perspective 
to be able to do that kind of data analysis, data insight, and execute on the insight. That's why AI is absolutely critical, to handle that volume and the velocity and the veracity of that data that's coming in. That point about 75% of the data, or even could be higher now, could be lower, but a significant amount of data loses its value. It decays over time in a matter of minutes, if not hours. And yet I see a lot of enterprises still work on old data. There are enterprises that couldn't create or make meaning out of real-time data or streaming data. So they use data from, uh, remember most of the legacy systems, uh, BI systems, they run on models created by yesterday's data or even last week's data. And then they try to inference on the data that that's stale. It just doesn't work. I, I still a lot of organizations struggle with that, don't they? Yeah, they do. And that's because a lot of times there's a lot of people, paper and processes in the mix. And, and anytime you interject paper, manual processes, people involved in terms of the decision making, and you have a lot of extra processes and checkpoints in place, It's very difficult to move from that batch central orientated world to a decentralized, autonomous, real-time world. It's a very difficult transition, and you really cannot make that transition unless you trust doing that through new technologies such as AI. Because like I said, it's not physically possible for humans to handle that type of volume and that type of velocity of data and change. And so training the data on traditional models, historical models, and then pushing those models out and then changing and reshaping the models in real time through edge AI, that's what we see all the innovation doing right now. This AI is really moving to where the sources of the data is at. And so instead of AI being more of a central data analytics kind of play, it's, it's moving quickly to this combination of edge AI and centralized AI working together with a closed loop. That's a key point, though, that most of these companies think they have to move their data to the core to do an analysis or create models, which becomes an issue because then you can't respond in quicker time. I still remember the statement you used to make, you need to move the value of data as opposed to the volume of data. That, uh, you know, you need to move less of data if possible and do all the analysis at the edge. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, you see companies like NVIDIA that are doing significant work in terms of making platforms like their EGX platforms available for developers and solution builders to build AI solutions at the edge. We had the, the good fortune of doing quite a bit of work with NASA and the space tech industry. And when you look at something like space technology, it's very evident very early when you try to, to start incorporating things like low orbiting satellites, et cetera, that you're just not going to be able to centralize everything. You've got to move to a decentralized model because of the distances involved, the connectivity involved, et cetera. And so what we've seen over the course of the last few years, we're working with NASA and SpaceX and several of the other space tech companies and technology companies like NVIDIA, we find that moving to this decentralized AI model for our overall operations is very advantageous in terms of scale and responsiveness. And so we anticipate that trend to continue. The AI and ITFs podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest, and I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. 
See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. So uh, I know you kind of changed your role a little bit now. You're more of a customer success role. So you deal with a lot of customer executives now. From what you see, do you really see a lot of customers considering the AI app solutions, working on it, implementing it? At least budgeting for it. What uh, what is it? Well, it really depends on the industry vertical. So, like as an example, if you'd asked me that question nine months ago about healthcare, I would have said, "Well, I don't really see it happening in healthcare." Right? Then the pandemic hit, and what happened was that the world headlights were shown on how ineffective, inefficient the healthcare industry was from an operation standpoint, especially as it relates to the medical supply chains, etc. And so now all of a sudden there's this clamor inside of the public sector, inside the healthcare industry vertical, inside the open source development community for changes, for moving to more of a real-time data-driven model for health solutions. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, the Linux Foundation announced the Linux Foundation for Public Health which was a reflection of the open source community wanting to make a difference in people's lives and wanting to focus on making healthcare better. And so now in the last nine months, healthcare went from being a fairly static industry vertical, not really looking at change, not looking at incorporating things like AI into operations, to that being one of the main things that they're interested in doing in terms of making their operations more efficient, more effective, more responsive, more conducive from being to be extended by open source developers and new solutions and being able to take advantage of those. And so that's just a classic case of the where, you know, you had an industry vertical was fairly stagnant. Now all of a sudden it's looking at incorporating these kinds of changes into their overall operations because they have to because they got poked in the eye, so to speak, with you know what everybody saw was glaring weaknesses in the way the operations and efficiency was in the healthcare sector. You have other industry sectors like the automotive sector that had been in this mode for the last couple of years because they saw disruption in the industry from moving from gas to more electric vehicles, moving to more autonomous capabilities in the vehicles. And so if you don't change your operations such that you can make changes in real time, where you're trying to manage an autonomous fleet, you're going to run into trouble. I mean, even if you're off from a micro positioning standpoint, if you're off by 10 feet, you just wiped out people on the sidewalk. I mean, these things really matter. So it really depends on the industry vertical. And I'd say that more and more industries are finding that the new future direction has to be more autonomous. They have to be more AI-driven just to be competitive with the rest of the industry. It's funny when uh, some of the regulated industries, they are closed industries, they don't change, they try to keep everything under the covers and locked up. But then when change hits, they catch on fire. The finance industry went through that about 10 years or so ago. And they That's caught correct. a fire 
going through that. Now it's a healthcare times. So I guess everything when it changes, it opens up, it pours, then it drains. So the, the related question would be that, you know, if they are speeding up, what kind of a horizon generally these guys are looking for to implement this? Or are they obviously, you know, with the pandemic, everybody wants everything now. Are, are they looking at a three-month time frame, six months, one year, or long budgeting or thinking about it? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, you know, I've seen a wide variety of different planning horizons from companies. Some of them have, quote, a five-year plan. Some of them have a six-month plan. I've seen stepwise progression where they might have, okay, what are we going to do in the next 30 days? What are we going to do in the next 90 days? What are we going to do in the next six months? And it's the latter kind of an approach that I think is correct. This aspect of a 30, 60, 90, six-month year, you basically at each checkpoint, you incorporate what you've learned during that part of your progression to more of an autonomous AI type of model, and you incorporate that back into the next phase. The ones that have these traditional long-term planning horizons, I haven't seen be very successful because they don't have that closed loop where they're continuously making improvements and incorporating things that they find along the way into the process and into their plans. So the more that they have in terms of, of having that visibility in terms of how things are going and having the flexibility to incorporate their findings and their learnings into that next stage, those are the ones that I've seen that are more successful in this kind of transition. Because you really don't know the best path to take until you start that journey many times. See, that's a key, right? Because I've seen some enterprises say, you put a complete plan together and they say, we got everything in place. We're going to do it and be good at it and we're done. And then sometimes it fails miserably. And some say, you know what, we'll start with what we got and we'll go through that and we'll plan along the way and make changes, periodic changes and revisions along the way. It could go either way. But again, the, the latter I've seen more successful than the former. Yeah, the only other thing I would uh, add to that is that many times what I see in terms of enterprise customers wanting to make change is that, in my opinion, they start with the wrong starting point. They take a look at what they currently have and figure out how they could potentially shape it, shift it, alter it, optimize it to make it what they want to be. And many times, the right answer would have been for them to have a different process, a different set technology base that they built kind of a parallel process to and then learn. And then once that parallel process gets to equal or better to their old process, switch over. I think it's very difficult many times to take what you currently have and try to make it what it needs to be in the future without considering taking a step back and considering, is there a better way to do that? If I was doing this from scratch, day one, starting off, is there a different set of technologies I would have taken, a different set of an approach? And then what you do is then you figure out, how do I map the old world to the new world versus just always starting with, this is what I have and this is all that I can have. I'm not looking at other technologies. I think that's a big stumbling block for a lot of enterprises. Based on all of those things you see, you don't have to name customers. Is there one particular thing that every single one of them seem to be doing? A very critical thing that they do that leads to the success? I'd say that it's difficult to have one common thing that they do when you talk about you know multiple industries. When you focus on a single industry vertical, there are certainly common patterns that exist across almost every customer in that vertical. 
So as an example, let's just take oil and gas. So if you take a look at the oil and gas industry, traditional uh, industry, lots of simulation, lots of exploration, trying to figure out where is the best place to look for um, the next oil reserve, et cetera. Uh, mining sort of fits into that too. And so they've kind of done it a traditional way. And so many of these companies in the oil and gas space are now looking at, okay, is there a better way of doing this? Could I get better data, better information if I incorporated things like drones, low orbiting satellites and got a different view of the landscape? So instead of just getting a ground only truth, maybe I get a ground plus aerial truth and combine that data together and make the algorithms that they utilize and the simulations they do a lot better. And so what you see happening is there's a common pattern and you see like in the oil and gas industry, they have uh, an initiative they call OSDU, which stands for Open Subsurface Data Universe, right? Which basically is the oil and gas industry enterprises and vendors coming together and agreeing to share data and exchange information so that each of them can do better job at doing their exploration, et cetera. Where before they were very siloed, they're very proprietary, they're very you know hidden. Most enterprises use data like gold and they lock in a vault and only the people that have the combination can actually see it. Where in reality, I think the new world that we live in, data is much more like oil. It's only effective if you're actually using it. It's only usable, it's only valuable if it's in use. Right? And so that's what we see in terms of trends and patterns across these different industry verticals is how can they better share data? How can they do that in a secure, compliant way? How can they be more efficient and effective in terms of the visibility they get? And you see them shifting more to more of an open source, open data type of a mindset. So a lot of enterprise customers have only data centers. And obviously, they have a, the process set up, the technology set up. So they are under the mentality of if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And then a lot of newborn digital enterprise natives, hyper systems are built purely on uh, cloud native. So neither of them don't have an issue because one already have it figured out. The other one they are figuring out as they go along. But the ones I see most struggling are the ones that ask data centers, they're trying to move to cloud, they're trying to set up a cloud ops, they're caught between both worlds. Have you seen anyone solving this problem efficiently? Uh, you don't have to name them, but uh, you know the process they went through, what they did uh, effectively, any advice? Yeah, so this is actually a fairly recent trend, if you will. To your point, you had customers that were doing things a certain way in their own data centers, and then they were utilizing cloud-native, public cloud infrastructure, and they were kind of two completely separate IT operations environments. And trying to bring those together, many times it was a real challenge from a cost and efficiency standpoint. And so really, if you look at what's happening in terms of one of the major trends in the last two years in particular has been the rise of Kubernetes. So you have containers and Kubernetes that have basically allowed a more common approach to doing operations in a, quote, private cloud in the data center and being able to do operations on a public cloud infrastructure and truly having a way of doing hybrid between the two. And, you know, of course, with the with IBM's Red Hat acquisition, that's a major thrust of what we do with the OpenShift. OpenShift has what they call an operator's framework where we allow 
people and enterprise customers, ISVs, cloud providers, et cetera, to be able to plug in some of the operations into the OpenShift Kubernetes secure Kubernetes distro such that you can have some commonality between a traditional kind of data center and a cloud operations. And so we've really seen a lot of our customers start really being able to have a much greater success of being able to optimize that combination of data center operations and cloud operations when they have a commonality around kind of a center of gravity, if you will, around uh, OpenShift or Kubernetes. Thanks, Mike. That's uh, that's a lot of uh, valuable information. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks, Andy, for having me. I appreciate it. So you heard from Mac. You agree? Disagree? Or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, let me know as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.